Police responded to a 911 call. Dramatic video of gun insanity in the Bronx. Police releasing a new video of a person that they are still trying to track down. Defund the police is not the answer. Many people surveyed said they just don't feel safe in the city. It's a shooting outside of a store. This is Bo Deedles. True crime. Police this morning are searching for the person who turned this Harlem platform to a crime scene. A Red Apple Media Podcast Network production. Now, here's Bo Deedle. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Bo Deedle's True Crime Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about if you say to me, Bo, what was your biggest case you ever broke? I would have to say it was a case that was labeled by Mayor Ed Koch as the most heinous crime in New York City history. And I'll have to make the setting for you. You have to backdate to 1981. Crime was pretty prevalent all over the city. And they had a thing called angel dust was the big thing. They were smoking pot and they would sprinkle it with some crap there or who the hell knows what the hell it was. And a lot of people were smoking that. Crack was appearing and it was all over the place. So now you got to remember, 1981, I had gotten thrown out of Citywide Anti-Crime, which I was one of the original guys that started back in 1973. And then I got, I was wondering why I got thrown out this time. Oh, I was number one in overtime in New York City and I 1976 and 77. So what I used to do is I did my job. But every time I went out, I made sure that I locked people up. And I was one of the original decoys where I was mugged. Uh, they counted over 500 times, hospitalized. 30 times. So I was a real aggressive guy. So at this point, I was working up in the 2-5 anti-crime. I had some great partners up there. I had Jack Freck and Tommy Collarin, along with other ones. But on this time, I was... Working with Tom Collarin. Now, Tom Collarin is an Irish uh, detective, about six foot two. Loved John Wayne. We I nicknamed him Cowboy. He was a great cop. He was a great backup guy. So Tom had some problems at that time. He had some problems where he lived on, I think it was 66th Street, 65th Street. And he had gathered about $5,000 in parking tickets. He used to get a ticket and throw it away. So they started coming after him. And Tom, at that point, and I, I was with him, not talking about him. We used to meet at bars, and I was drinking along with him. A lot of people didn't like me talking about it, but we didn't go to an ice cream parlor. We used to go to a bar, and we used to have some drinks together, and we used to talk about things. And he was very down about he thought he was going to lose his detective badge. So this was just, I'm just giving you the, the plateau. Now, you got to remember, I grew up in Ozone Park, Queens with John Gotti and Ralph Scopo and all the gangsters. But I went one way, they went another way. When I was a young man, 17 years old, I was working construction with the uh, Labor's Union, then as the, with the Iron Workers Union before I became a cop. But I used to drive Ralph Scopo up to 116th Street and Pleasant Avenue. It was a place called the Colonial where Fat Tony Salerno, he was like the street boss of the Genovese family. And he used to meet with him. So I had met him when I was a kid. Then all of a sudden I became a cop. And I used to tell Tommy, you know, let's go have a drink at the Colonial. And he goes, oh, why do you want to be all around these Guinea gangsters? And all I said, listen, I said, I grew up with them. We don't have nothing involved. We don't do nothing for these guys. All I can say is that, you know, I know them for a lot of years. So we used to drink at the bar. They'd say hello to me. Then we'd be at Rayo's. And Tommy and I would be in one corner of the bar. They'd be at the other corner of the bar. And we'd send them drinks. They'd send us drinks. And we had, hello, go. 
goodbye relationship. No one at no time, Tommy nor I did anything for anybody or did anything. And actually, there was an FBI wire. There was an FBI wire tape that they picked up, and I heard it with uh, my ex-sergeant Joe Coffey, where Fat Tony Salerno, Fat Tony Salerno was stated that do you don't ask this cop Bo or his Irish partner for anything ever. These guys are good cops. Let them do their thing. So what we used to do is we used to be on the streets. We went after all the gangs that were extorting all the Puerto Rican store owners, the Savage Skulls, the Seven Immortals. We used to hide in the back of the stores, and these people were being extorted, had to give them money. And then when we'd come out of the back of the store, I used to come out there, and I used to have fistfights with some of these gang members. Never locked them up, and I'd tell them, if I catch you back here, then I'm going to lock you up. But, I mean, I'd let them fight with me, and I always won. I remember I was a very strong guy, and I loved to fight. So I didn't lock him up. He got, some of them got a couple of shots at me. I got shots back. So we had a reputation on the, on the street of being two cops that were out there cleaning up these street punks, the murders. Of, and then we had the Chinese restaurant trio that was robbing all the Chinese restaurants, 30 restaurants. We locked them up, murder cases. So we had a great reputation in East Harlem with all my Puerto Rican friends and all the Puerto Rican people up there and the Italian people. So now I'll put everybody into it. It was a Saturday afternoon. Now we used to work six at night to two in the morning. And I came into the station. I was real quiet. And I, all of a sudden I said to one of the guys, what happened? What a cop get killed or something? They go, Oh no, uh, something happened on 16th street. Our lady of Mount Carmel at the church, they have a rectory over there. And there was a Roman Catholic nun. Our ladies of charity was brutally beaten and they left her for dead. She was raped and sodomized and everything else. Now, this is Saturday afternoon at 6 o'clock. Tommy comes and I said, come on, Tommy, let's go over there. So when I shoot over to 116th Street, my old friend Pete Christensen was there. He was a detective in the sex crimes, I think, at that time. I said, Pete, what happened? He goes, oh, my God, Bo, a really terrible scene upstairs. On the third floor, there was this Roman Catholic nun, her people coming through the roof into the convent. It wasn't a rectory, it was a convent. And what happened in the convent was they beat this nun up, and then they raped and sodomized her. They put a broom into her vagina. I'm going to be very graphic. And then they carved 27 crosses all over her body. They urinated her, threw her down the stairs, and they left her for dead. I said, Pete, what do you got? Do you have anything on it? He says, you know, Bob, we have nothing. I says, any witnesses? No. So I look at Tommy. Now, you got to remember, this is Saturday afternoon, probably 5.30, 6 o'clock, whatever time it was. And then I says, Tommy, let's start hitting the streets. So we started hitting. First place we hit was 115th Street. We knew all the characters around there, all the junkies, all the drug deals, everything. And they knew us. So we started going into these abandoned apartments. We started pushing our way in there. And we're telling everybody, listen, the nun got raped. If anybody doesn't know what happened, you better learn who did it, who was involved, because there will be no more drug dealing. There'll be no more shooting up. I said, I'll be your worst nightmare. Me and Tommy was there. And we told every one of these little scumbags that this is what's going to happen. We're going to haunt your ass. So now all of a sudden... I go and I get this one junkie made a statement. A lot of people don't know one thing. 
when you're a detective, certain things lead you. It's a non-tangible thing. You can't describe a feeling that you get when someone says something to you. This one junkie says to me, well, you know, I was on the corner there. It happened, I think, around noon on Saturday afternoon when it actually happened. He says, I remember seeing one tall guy and one short guy. The short guy had like this limp and they were outside of the convent around that time. A light went off. Now, when I take Tommy, we look around, and now we see how they came in. There was an adjoining apartment building, which had a fire escape. So they came through the roof. So now I'm just thinking fast in my mind. I'm saying two guys, one short, one tall. They came through the roof. Now, how many times do you have sexual predators that work together as a team? You know, if I'm a sexual deviant, I'm a sexual deviant, I'm a rapist, I'm a rapist. Or we have partners as being rapists. So now I figured burglary was the motive because they came through the roof. And it proves to be, at the end of the story, that that was the real motive when they first got there. And because they were doing this angel dust, the other side of it persisted. So now we're in the car. And remember, this is Saturday afternoon, so we're hitting all the areas around there. And we just keep working. Now... Monday goes by, Tuesday goes by. Now, remember, this rape occurred Saturday afternoon. It was not, repeat, it was not in the newspapers until Wednesday. It hit the newspapers. Headlines of the Daily News, New York Post, none got raped in the convent. This is Wednesday. So they kept this. This is unheard of, keeping this case out of the newspapers for four days. Now, all of a sudden, I guess start getting phone calls. Bo, this is up in your location, up in East Harlem. You and your partner, the Hot Shots. So I'm having a drink up in Rayo's, and this is Wednesday night. And I'm having a drink. Vinny Rayo says to me, Bo, he used to stutter. Let me, let me talk to you. He goes, I was out front of the restaurant, and I was sweeping outside, and a guy came walking by, and he says, do you, you want to know where these rapists come from? They come from 125th Street. That's all he said. Again, it was like a light that went off. Now, this is Wednesday night. Now it's all over the news. I hit the Adam's apple. The Adam's apple was another drinking, one of my drinking halls again. And Felix Brinkman, Auschwitz survivor, one of my best friends, he's over there and he says to me, Bo, this is up in your area. Everybody's telling me that I got to get involved. Now, you got to remember something. They had a task force. They had a guy named Jimmy Sullivan. Jimmy Sullivan, that was the chief of detectives. They had 200 detectives assigned. They didn't want two broken down anti-crime detectives like me and Tommy to get involved with something like this. So... Now all these lights are going off. Now Tommy's depressed. He's drinking very, very heavy. And I said, Tommy, enough with this drinking bullshit. I said, we're going to break this case. He looks at me. He goes, yeah, partner, yeah. So now I go to Captain Fortunato, who was the precinct commander of the 2-5. And I go to see Captain Fortunato when after the story breaks on Wednesday. I said, Captain, I got some secret information on this non-rape case. Can you... Can you give me and Tommy three days to work on it? He looks at me. He smiles. He goes, Bo, what do you got? I says, I can't tell you, Captain. Please, you know I'm not bullshitting you. Please give me three days to work on it with Tommy. He goes, you got it, Bo. So I grabbed Tommy. He was at the corner bar where we always drank, 119th Street, Park Avenue. And I go up to Tommy and say, partner, 
No more drinking. We're going to have some coffees. Let's get a couple espressos. We're going to break this nun rape case. So what we do is we head over what Vinnie Rayo said to me, that they come from 125th Street. So we started from the East River on 125th Street. We started hitting different locations. They had a lot of Jamaican pot places. We broke our way in. Yes, we illegally cracked the door open and we went in there. We hit all these shooting galleries. Yes, we opened those doors. They didn't own the place. It was just a shooting gallery. So we did like like things that today they probably would be locking me up. But at that point, I was on a mission and Tommy was on a mission. So Tommy then started to believe in, here goes partner, you're crazy, but I'm with you all the way. So all of a sudden, now we start going, hitting all these places, 120 fishing. Now in my mind was they came from the roof, tall, short, Burglary was the motive. So now I start asking questions. You know, a tall guy and a short guy with a, a limp, burglars. And you know anything about them? So now we're working our way. Now we work our way down to 62 or 63 East 125th Street. It was an apartment building right off Park Avenue. We push our way into there, and now they have kids who are smoking pot in the apartment. We open the apartment door, they start, oh, the cops, the cops. I said, look, we're not here for anything. We're looking for a tall guy and a short guy that does burglaries. I don't care about you smoking pot, kids. Do whatever the hell you want. I'm not interested. We're interested in this. At the same time, Park Avenue was was overrun with uh, prostitutes and pimps and translucents and transvestites, whatever the hell they are. Chicks with dicks, whatever the hell they are, right? And these were things that were going on at that time in 1981 and actually had people go up to Park Avenue thinking they were getting a female prostitute prostitute, and uh, I just hope they didn't grab between the legs because they would realize it was a male. But uh, that was not my business. I would grab the pimps, and some of the pimps were out there, and what you want, and they're kicking me, and they uh, yeah, man, you want you get out of here, Bo, you and your cowboy partner. I said, listen, my man, we're investigating the rape of a nun. And the guy said, well, why don't you get out of my face? One guy had a Kelly Green tux there. Tell Kelly Green suit on. I knew one thing. These pimps loved the way they dressed. So I went over to him. I ripped his pocket right out of his Kelly Green suit. Ripped it right off. I say, punk, you're not going to be doing prostitution. You're not going to be having all your hookers out here until we find out who raped this nun. You understand? Business is going to be over. I, I acted a little tough. I did. And then we go back to the apartment. So what did the kids say? There's a guy that lives upstairs. His name is nickname is Chicago. And he has a little friend named Max, and he's a little guy, but he doesn't have a limp. He walks with a bop. Walks with a, another light goes up. Bop, limp, same thing. Now all of a sudden this feeling's going crazy. Now we're getting now we're getting phone calls. We get a phone call at the precinct above to go to the colonial tavern. Uh, t- Fat Tony Salerno wants to meet you. Now he puts out in the New York Post, he puts a $25,000 reward for the capture or, or whatever for the nun rapist. Now it's all over the papers. The mob's involved. They want to get involved. So I walk over to Tony. Tony says to me, what are you guys doing with this case? I said, Tony, they got 200 detectives. He had a cigar in his mouth. He goes, that's bullshit. You and your Irish partner, the hot shots, get involved. I said, Tony, we're involved, okay? I said, we don't want nothing. I said, this is for the people of East Harlem and for the people of New York City. We're on this case, Tony. We'll get these guys. Don't worry. And he goes, yeah, you and your Irish partner, get out there and get them. 
We walk out. So Tommy sat in the car. He didn't like coming in there. He goes, what happened in there? I said, well, we just got directed by the head of the Genovese family that they are in back of us to capture these guys. It's a $25,000 reward, but we ain't taking no friggin' reward. What we're going to do is we're going to lock these scumbags up. And you know what? Nobody could give me or you $25,000 in a million years. We're going to break the case. So now... All of a sudden, we're there, and I go up to the apartment with Tommy after these kids tell me on the third floor, and there's this old black guy. He had a glass eye. I remember he was blind in one eye. I said, sorry. I said, my name's Bo, and this is Tommy. I said, we're looking for—I would like to talk to your son. We had a nun that was raped in the convent. They carved 27 crosses. Oh, I know all about it. I go, we'd just like to talk to your, uh, talk to your son. And he goes, okay, I gave him the card. So now this would be probably Friday more, uh, Friday around noon. Now maybe a little early, around 11 o'clock in the morning. Now we're up. We're up 24 hours a day. Tommy and I didn't sleep for, for three days with this investigation. And now all of a sudden we talk to him. Now we go back up to, uh, we go back up. I think we went back to the Colonials. They used to have a nice linguine with white clam sauce. So we used to eat there and uh, we were eating linguine. We got another call from my lieutenant and he called me up and, uh, and he called me up and, uh, now I'm forgetting his name, but uh, he calls me up. He goes, Bo, he, again, I call up. He goes, this old man on 125th Street that you interviewed earlier wants you to come back. So now it's about 10 o'clock. We go back to this blind fella. He goes, well, offices. He goes, my son came in right after you guys were here, and I told him you were looking for him. And as soon as he heard that, he had as a girlfriend who's a prostitute from Park Avenue, and then they said we're going, we're getting out of here. I said, well, where did they go? They were heading to Chicago. They went to the Port Authority. They took a bus to Chicago. Still don't know what the hell I got. Really, what do I got? I got nothing. But I then do a little more investigation. I talked to these kids, and these kids told me Nikki Barnes, who was the top heroin dealer in Harlem, which I had a I had a lot of contact with him and his enforcers over the years. I knew him, and they knew me and Tommy. Matter of fact, I had fistfights with his two bodyguards in a cell, locked in a cell with him. That's another story where uh, we both ended up in the hospital. They both of them ended up in the hospital, and I ended up getting getting blackjacked by another cop. Not another story for another day. But now all of a sudden I heard they burglarized Nicky Bond's discotheque. They stole all his sound equipment. So now I don't know if this guy's running for me or from the great drug dealer Nicky Bonds, but he's on the run. What do we got? We got nothing yet. But what happens is basically... Uh, what happens is we continue we continue to investigate it. Now it's mid it's eleven o'clock midnight. I'll never forget. Oh, Geary, Lieutenant Geary was my lieutenant's name. Jimmy Geary, one of the best, and Sergeant Stevens, my uh, my sergeant. These were they supported me and Tommy all the way, and they said if anybody could do it. So now all of a sudden, uh, uh, Geary had called me. So we go interview the guy now. Bus uh, the the bus left a certain time. It's supposed to arrive at six o'clock in the morning. So I call up. The inspector of Manhattan North, his name was Charlie Sabone. So I said, inspector, he goes, hey, Bo, how you doing? Oh, guy, you guys did a great job with that, locking those murderers up with the Chinese restaurants. You guys are on a roll, you and Tommy. He knew who we were. He goes, 
he goes, you know, what are you doing now? I says, we're working on a number of cases. He starts laughing. He goes, I got 200 detectives on this, Bo. What do you think you got that they ain't got? I said, I ain't even telling you what I got, but I got a feeling. I'm onto something right now. I need your permission, me and Tommy, to jump on a plane to go to Chicago. He goes, Bo, whatever you want. If you really think you got something. I says, Inspector, I really feel like we got something going on here. He goes, well, you got permission. Jump on a plane. Now, let's bring it back to 1981. This is during the Patco strike. This is the, the air traffic control strike when Reagan was the president. He uh, They were on strike, so he suspended. He fired all the air traffic controllers. So there was no flights. It was really bad. So I call up the only flight we could get out is at 7 o'clock in the morning to go to Chicago. Now we got a dilemma. The bus is arriving at 6.30 in the morning. What do you do? So I don't know what to do. All I know is this bus is getting in. If this guy gets off the bus, he's gone. We still don't know who we got. And it's still a pie in the sky. And all the detectives now are coming in. Oh, Bo, you and your partner are jerking everybody. Yours, you got nothing. What do you got? Nothing. I says, okay, we got nothing. So now... 312 area code, I think, for Chicago. 312-555-1212. So I dial that, and I get an operator. If I said I would like the uh, Chicago Police Department, they give me the phone number. Chicago PD, uh, I said, do you have a detective squad? Oh, no, we have a, violence, a violent crime squad. I said, that sounds good. Connect me. So I'll never forget. Sergeant Kelly, violent crime section. He said, hey, Sarge, how you doing? I said, this is Bo Deedle from New York. I says, how long have you been on the job? He goes, 26 years. I says, did you ever get a feeling? I mean, a real feeling about a case? I said, I got a real feeling. We had this rape of a nun in the convent, 27 crosses carved into, we know all about it. It wasn't a New York story. It was a national story. This is was labeled as the most heinous crime in New York City history. Now you got two broken down Cops working this case with 200 detectives on the other side that are crashing into walls, not really developing too much. But now we're on. We're like two hound dogs, me and Tommy. So now Tommy's well fired up. We're drinking double espresso. We're, we haven't slept in all that. So now Tommy says, um, uh, uh, oh, so I tell the sergeant, Sergeant Kelly, I said, the bus is supposed to come in sometime around 630. We're going to be on a plane at 7. We just need you to put him. I sent him a fax of a picture of what he looked like because we did our own little homework and we found a, a former arrest record on this guy. And then we identified who he was. So I sent him. I said, he's with a female black that is his girlfriend who's half who's a hooker. And I said, we just need you to follow him. You got it. So now all of a sudden, Time's going by. Tommy says, you know, I'm going to go to McDonald's. We used to go to McDonald's on uh, on uh, 3rd Avenue and 115th Street. That's the place I used to go at 3 o'clock in the morning when I was a little drunk. And I used to buy uh, a McDonald's uh, Big Mac. Uh, I used to have to go there with my gun out because they had about 10 guys hanging around ready to rob me. And I used to actually get my McDonald's with my gun out so I wouldn't get robbed at 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. These were tough days back then. So I used to get my McDonald's. So I go, Tommy went to get the McDonald's. He's Coming up the stairs, next thing's one of my guys yelled, Bo, Sergeant Kelly, Chicago PD, violent crime section, with a question. I said, what the hell does he call me? All of a sudden, he gets on the phone. He goes, Bo, 
He goes, the bus got in early. We got your boy. I, I go, what? We got your boy and his girlfriend. And and, they admit, and he admitted to the third floor of the convent. He actually gave up the second guy's name, Max Lindemann. I said, oh, my God. I, I said, you were supposed to follow him. He goes, you know what I did, Bo? I got him in the car. I put a double-barrel shotgun in his mouth, and I told him he's going to meet God real quickly unless he starts opening up. It's a very good equalizer. Today, if you do it, everybody get locked up. But you know what? When the nun was getting raped and was sticking things in the coffin, because she didn't have too many rights. So Kelly got this guy to open up about it. I guess you could have thrown that confession out, but tough shit now. This is what happened. So next thing is he gives up Max Lindemann. Now, Max Lindemann's Jewish sounding, right? Tommy goes, I locked that guy up during a blackout. So we're wrestling through his, his locker with all the arrest records. We find Max Lindemann. So now we got Max Lindemann, his last donor address. And all these detectives are up to you saying, you guys don't know what you're doing there. I said, freak them, Tommy. We don't need nobody. We don't need emergency service. We don't need nothing. Let's go. So we go to that door. We hit the apartment door that it was known. We break the door down. And it was a nice Puerto Rican family screaming. And he had moved out of the year prior. So, so I gave him my card. I said, we're so sorry. We're going to fix your door and everything. Here's my card. We run out of what's his next, next known address. So we run over there. Next thing is I say, Tommy, give me five minutes. Bang on the door. Say please. Oh, say bangs on the door. I'm on the fire escape. The window starts coming up, and Tommy's banging on the door. Please, he's coming up. All I remember is a big afro, and he's coming out of the out of the window. I grab him by his afro. Boom, 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 boom. I bring him down to fire escape, and I bring him downstairs. I cuff him. We bring him into the station house, Max Lindemann, and he's looking at me. Now we're in an interrogation. All the detectives, the pinky ring detectives, with all their fancy-ass suits around. You guys got the wrong guy. Bah, 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 bah. Next thing is... We start back and forth. I'm the bad guy. Of course, Tommy's the good guy. Keep the little psych away. And I'm going to tell something that I'm going to admit to right now. I was up for three days. I was really tired. Allegedly, this guy said something about my mother. And I love my mother. She's gone. And he says, why don't you go F your mother? And I says, you're talking about my mother like this? And I looked at his jaw and I gave him a right hook. I did do that. I said, you don't talk against my mom. And he sued me, I think, for $40 million for breaking his jaw. But I did do it. Statue of limitations, all tough crap. Again, that nun, when she was being raped, when they were sticking stuff into her, she didn't have any rights either. So now he gives up. Well, I was there. The other guy raped her. All of a sudden, the whole place goes crazy. Now they get palm print on the skylight, and they match up the palm print. And we got the right guys. So all of a sudden, we get pushed out of the squad room by all these fancy-ass detective, pinky ringing, diamond pinky. Uh, we got this. So Tommy, I said to Tommy, let's go up to the corner bar. Now it's time to drink. So we're up there drinking. All of a sudden, Don Gentile from the Daily News comes up there and he goes, we're just talking to your sergeant. I should have figured it was you and Tommy, Bo. How did you do it? And I'll never forget one thing. There was a movie out at that time. There was a movie out and it was with John Bellucci. 
And they had this movie. What was the name of that movie with John Pellucci? And they were two cops. And they go, we were on a mission from God. That was the expression that John Bellucci said. So I tell Don Gentile, I says, we were on a mission from God. That was the headline in the Daily News, Two Cops, Blues Brothers. The Blues Brothers was the movie. And we go, I go, we're on a mission from God. All of a sudden now, he puts that in the paper. Everything comes out. As soon as we caught this guy before, when when a guy admits to it, before I do this, I said, Tommy, come on. We get into our unmarked car after we locked him up. We shoot right over to 115, 116 by the church. I'll leave my car. I put the siren on. I'll never forget. It was around 7 o'clock in the morning. The bells were ringing. And all the people, all the old widows, Italian widows were going into, into church. And the next thing is, I'm yelling out the window, we got him. We got the nun rape. I drive around. Vinny Rayo, I'm banging on his door. Vinny Rayo comes out. What's going on? I said, Vinny, I'm hugging him, kissing him. I said, we got the nun rapist. We got him. We got him. Siren all over the neighborhood. And Tommy and I then, all of a sudden, we had not slept for three and a half days. So I told Tommy, you know, I'm going to go home. I got to take a shower. I said, I haven't taken a shower for three and a half days. I said, we'll come back. We're probably going to be the heroes of this of the world. Well, that didn't happen quite that way because the chief of detectives, this little midget punk, could not give us credit because he was the chief of the detectives. They didn't break this case. Two people broke this case. Thomas Collarin and Bo Deedle. And then all of a sudden, I'm driving back, and I said, wow, we're going to be heroes. We got every award in from the governor, city council, detectives, every award that there was ever. One award we never got was from the chief of detectives or from the police department. And I'll never forget that song, Don't Fall in Love with a Dreamer. I think Kenny, Kenny Rogers was playing. And that was true. And there was all allegations. Oh, Bo and Tommy got $25,000 reward for the mob on my children. I would never accept it. Tommy would never accept it. And it never happened. You could have offered us a million dollars and we would not have taken this feeling away. So now we're getting all these awards the mayors, the governors. We'd walk into Jimmy Wesson's downtown. The place would stand up and clap. The Adam's Apple, the whole place would clap. Rayo's Restaurant, everyone would stop eating, clap for us. Tommy and I, we were, we were the heroes of New York. One problem, all of a sudden, they tell me that we're being transferred. They transfer me to one end of Brooklyn, and they transferred Tommy to the other end of Brooklyn. This is our reward from the chief of detectives. This is the politics that go on. And then all of a sudden I become a homicide detective. And you know what? To the demise of all these police brass, my career doesn't stop there. It just begins again. And this was probably the greatest case that has ever been done by myself and Tommy and probably in the annals of New York City police history, two cops on a mission from God, but it was more so we were able to break the most heinous crime in New York history. And every part of this is fact and anyone who tells you different. I actually was up at Rayo's restaurant one night and some female lieutenant, I had my back, I was retired. And she goes, well, I heard that Bo Deedle took the credit for this case and he didn't break that case. He stole that case for someone. And I turned around and I looked her in the eye and says, you know Bo Deedle? 
no, but I heard. I said, you didn't just say you heard. You said you knew. You're a liar. She walked out of there crying. I said, get out of here. Point is, you can never take it away from Tom Collin and Bo Deedle. We broke the most heinous crime in New York police history. This is a great a great history lesson for people who want to be detectives. Use your sixth sense. It's something that steers you. If you feel like something's right or something's wrong, you take your nose and you go after it. And again, thank you, everybody. Hope everyone's entertained. If I offended anybody again, I apologize. But this is reality. This is how it happened. And that's the facts. Thank you, everybody. Tune in next week. <laughs>